One of the things that I truly love to do is to sit down with couples for counseling. Oftentimes, it's a younger couple getting ready for their big day and some premarital counseling. Sometimes, I'm just talking through issues going on in a marriage or a relationship. When I first started doing couples counseling, and particularly premarital counseling, I had all sorts of tools and resources. I would aim for like eight sessions together. Uh, I'd try and cover all the material I had. We'd cram it in. I had books that I would recommend. I had assessments that I would lead them through and, and tons and tons of material. As I've done this more in the years have progressed, my strategy has changed. I do way fewer sessions, uh, no books, no assessments, and just one primary focus in session one that we carry through for the next few sessions, and that is communication. So those of you who've been married for a long time or have been in a relationship for a long time know this to be true. If your communication stinks, then everything else is probably going to stink too. I mean, if you're not speaking well to one another or effectively to one another, there's very little chance that your finances, your work life, your parenting, your intimacy, or anything else is going to be particularly life-giving. So I'd like to think that James, if asked to take on premarital counseling, might use a similar strategy to mine. We see in this text here that he's trying to drive home the importance of the words that we use and, and how we communicate. He's already spoken about the tongue in chapter 1, but we didn't talk much about that at the time because I knew that chapter 3 was coming up in a, in a couple of weeks today and that we would have plenty of time to focus on that today. James says much of what I've already said, that if your communication, the words you choose, are off base, then your whole life is off kilter. You're pretty sunk. So it's worth talking about the words that you choose and how you employ them. So let me just start by saying this. Just like it would be a major oversight for me to not begin a premarital counseling cycle anywhere but with communication, I want you to know that I feel responsible for the, the major oversight of not talking about our words nearly enough from this pulpit. I was looking back at my old sermons and, and realizing that we really haven't preached on the words that we use. And that is a crazy oversight. So it's well worth us hearing from James on this subject as he encouraged us in, in chapter 1 to be not merely hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. So James starts by warning teachers that their job is important that not many should choose to be teachers because teachers are judged more harshly for their actions than what they do. And then James gets into the topic of the tongue and the words that we choose, and he really doesn't come back to teachers again in this passage. So there's a natural question that many have asked, is this scripture only really applicable for teachers? Well, it's, it's safe to assume that James isn't referring to teachers in the sense of school teachers, as we might think of them, or even Sunday school teachers here at church. Remember that James is addressing a church that is completely dependent on oral tradition. The teachers that James is speaking about are the leaders of the church. Those who are keeping the tradition of Jesus going orally for the next generation. And that's where the tie is. I mean, these are literally the ones who are speaking. They are the ones who are using words in the church. So it makes sense that James would turn his focus to the tongue. Because if the leaders of the church aren't careful, the whole... Tradition of Jesus and his gospel could be forever marred. I'm going to return to this idea of teachers in a little bit, but let's keep it tucked, it away, let's keep it tucked away for now. In verse 2, James highlights the importance of the tongue, saying that our words have the power to keep the whole body in check. Yes, it is clear that the tongue, a very small thing, has tremendous power. 
James goes into a list of analogies to explain the potency of the tongue. He compares it to the rudder of a ship, a, a, a relatively small thing that, that guides the boat uh, as the captain steers it. Then he compares the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth. This powerful, large animal is controlled by a very small thing. Then he finally compares the tongue to a spark that can start a forest fire. It can unleash great chaos that we cannot control if we're not careful. And James isn't exactly going out on a limb here. I mean, through numerous authors of both the Old and New Testament, we read a fair amount about the dangers of the tongue. There are well over 100 verses in the Bible about the tongue. But I think James' most poignant words here in verse 9 and 10 are the, are the most instructive for us. With our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. The tongue can do so much good, or it can get us into so much trouble. And as Christians, if you are someone who calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this shouldn't be so. We have to do better with our speech. I feel strongly that part of our call is to godly speech. It's honoring to the God who created us and knows us and loves us. And not just when we're here at church. That's easy. I'm talking about at all times. Now, what is ungodly speech? Just so we're on the same page. Throughout scripture, we get a good view of what ungodly speech is. It includes foul language and off-color speech, lying, cursing, gossip, swearing. It also includes lewd humor and talk, particularly that of a sexual nature. But godly speech is the other. It's, it's edifying and honoring and controlled and modern. Now, at the risk of sounding like your parent telling you to, to watch your tongue, young man or young lady, I do want to communicate to you this morning that your words matter. They matter to me. They matter to God. They matter to the people around you and the world around you. So don't just brush off the call to godly speech as some sort of pious ideal. It is a noble and I would say essential ideal for us. Kids who are here today, this is not just for you. This is for adults and kids alike. It is a level playing field in this sermon. Our words and how we use them, they matter. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to know that you're held to a higher standard. I don't hold others to the same standard who don't know and love and follow God. And our, culturally, our culture certainly doesn't encourage godly speech. But Christians, they need to embrace this higher standard because our words matter. I'd like to offer three reasons why our words really do matter, and I'm, I'm indebted to Ken Witzma and A.J. Swoboda in their book, Redeeming How We Talk, and their helpful distinctions that helped form these reasons. Reason number one, you are your words. Your words matter because you, they are a reflection of what's going on inside. Have you ever heard something come out of your mouth and, and, and then asked, where did that come from? You know that emotion? I know that I have. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back to Katie or my kids or even sometimes my coworkers and say, hey, that thing I said earlier, the, the way that I said it, I, I realized that that was not coming from a healthy place. I've got some things I need to work through, and I'm, and I'm sorry. I'm always tempted instead to say, oh, I didn't mean that, or, or that wasn't really me, or, or I take that back, but I know that that's not true. The things that I say are indeed coming from my heart. If I use ungodly speech, it's an indication that there's stuff going on. It's not, a, it's not a slip or a momentary unthinking lapse in judgment. These words come from somewhere. So we should be aware of what our speech is saying about us. 
Francis Schaeffer used to say that we should all imagine wearing a microphone around our neck that records our every word or encounter. Might that change the way that we speak? So often we feel like given certain company or settings that we can let our guard down and let our words flow a little more freely, more relaxed. But here's the truth of Scripture. Your mouth is only revealing the state of your heart. If your heart is broken and darkened, your mouth is going to reveal that. If your heart is is good and pure, it's in a good spot, your words will follow. So knowing that we're accountable for each word that comes from our mouth, that we are indeed our words, that should stop and, and, and that should make us stop and think about what we're saying. It should make us increasingly intentional, even more. It should make us continually examine the state of our hearts so that our words might follow. Reason number two, your words matter because every time we speak is an opportunity. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Here, Paul is inviting us to consider the impact our words have on others over and against our desire to say those words. In other words, we can can either be self-focused or others-focused in the way that we speak. In our social media culture, I so often see people going on diatribes about one issue or another with the rationale, I just needed to get something off my chest. We've all heard that, right? Likewise, so many words that are shared or written are meant to shape a persona or an image or a perception of who we are. This kind of speech is clearly self-seeking in every way. It's to make the speaker feel better about themselves rather than for the betterment of others. Paul and and James, too, they both encourage us to focus on others before we even open our mouths. Every word is an opportunity to either build somebody else up or help somebody else or simply puff myself up and make me feel better. They just simply aren't throwaway words. And words cannot be taken back once they're delivered. So it's incumbent upon us to see the words that we say as a constant opportunity for good that gives honor to God. A good way to to check yourself on this is to ask the question, is what I'm about to say or type going to reduce, demean, or discourage in any way those who hear them or read them, those who are created in the image of God and the likeness of God? If the answer is yes, then we ought not say it, and we ought not type it. Reason number three, your words matter because the world is listening. When we talked about the relationship between faith and works last week, I touched a bit on the idea of of action as evangelism. James isn't mentioning the tongue simply to police our behavior so that we would opt into this morally upright life, so that we can experience the benefits of, of personal piety. No, James is writing this because the world is watching and listening. And one of the ways that we show Christ to the world is is the way in which we live and the words we choose. If, if our words don't match what we say about our lives and our claims of Christ, we will be doing a disservice to the gospel of Jesus, and our witness will be watered down or damaged beyond repair. When I was in sixth grade, I moved to Minnesota, and I, I desperately wanted to make friends with the basketball crowd at my new school, so I kind of finagled my way to their lunch table by about a month into school, and I was there on a daily basis. And in order to impress them, I began to use words that were kind of new to me, the words they were using. I would occasionally swear. I would laugh at off-color jokes. I would join in on making fun of other kids, sometimes mercilessly. 
And one day uh, at lunch, a few of the guys asked to, if I wanted to play basketball with them that evening. And I said, well, I can't because I'm going to a youth group event tonight. And my friend Cal said, oh, I thought kids who went to church didn't talk like you do. <laughs> Ouch. Cal was a church kid, too, from another covenant youth group. And, and I'm thankful for his honesty because it was a gut check for me. And, and he became an important Christian friend and source of accountability through my junior high years. You see, the world is listening to you as well. I, I certainly hope that my basketball buddies weren't turned off to the idea of faith because of the words I chose in junior high. I, I hope not. I believe God's bigger than that. But, but know that your words are some of your best and worst witness. I have a friend in town who's a businessman who contends that simply by not swearing, he sticks out like a sore thumb in his line of work. He's had numerous people ask him why he doesn't participate in that kind of speech, why he doesn't demean women, doesn't laugh at lewd jokes, doesn't trash other people. What an incredible opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And I think in this day and age, simply choosing to use God-honoring language, not swearing, not being crude, you are distinguishing yourself in this culture, and you will have people asking you very similar questions. Why are you different? So these reasons are very convicting for me. I, I want my words to reflect the work of God in my life and in my heart. I desire to bless people with my words rather than just building myself up. I want to be a witness for Christ in this world with the words that I choose. And as I shared at the beginning, I know that if the way I speak is poor, then my whole faith life will be. As James says, the, as the tongue goes, so the body does. And, and that's where I want to turn to the text one more time for kind of my textual aha moment uh, in this particular passage. James' claim that the tongue employs God, that, that employs godly speech can keep the whole body intact is interesting because we tend to read that on a fairly individualistic level. If my words are godly, then the rest of my life is going to follow suit. And this is true, and I want this kind of godly speech for all of us to rid ourselves of foul language and gossip and selfishness and, and crudeness. But the aha for me is James' use of the word body. This is where I want to go back to the discussion of the teachers in the church in verse 1. Remember, these are the the keepers of the oral tradition. His use of teachers makes me think that James isn't merely talking about our individual words and our individual bodies, but is actually telling the church, the body of Christ, that the words that they use as a people will either lead to the flourishing or the destruction of the church body. So if we follow this logic, it means a few things. If you're part of this church or a church, you are a teacher. Because you, just like the teachers that James is addressing, are someone who carries the Christian tradition through your life and your witness and your words. It also means that the way we speak doesn't just affect us personally. They're not just our words, but they strengthen or destroy the body of Christ. And lastly, it impresses upon me that one of the chief tasks that we have as a church is to bless others and never curse others. Yes, this sermon is a call to a moral life, but it's also a call to do your part to strengthen the body of Christ here on earth. We could talk about any number of things pertaining to the Christian life on a Sunday morning like today, and all of them are important. But much like those couples that I meet with, if our speech, our communication, the way we talk doesn't precede all of those important things, then they're destined to be impotent or they're destined to fail. So as we close this morning, without being too heavy-handed, I would like to invite us into a time of confession and commitment. Let's confess our ungodly speech. And let's commit to take more seriously the call to God-honoring speech. For our own sakes, certainly. 
but even more so for the edification of the body of Christ and for the sake of witness to the world. I want to invite you to pray along with me, and and trust me, I'm praying this prayer first and foremost for myself because I need it. There are going to be some brief breaks along the way for you to silently add your own prayers. Let's, Let's pray. O most holy God, we confess today how difficult it is to tame our tongues. We lay before you words that we wish we could unspeak. Silence that is kept when it would have been better to speak. We lay before you our doublespeak and inconsistency, all the talk behind backs. We lay before you all the chatter that tears down, every confidence broken, and every wound that words have inflicted. Lord, we ask for your help, that you would bridle our tongues, help us to think before we speak, guide us to use words that build up rather than tear down, help our tongues to lead us into maturity and faithfulness. And we thank you this morning, Lord, that you are a God of forgiveness. We know the ways in which we so easily fail at this. So we thank you that you forgive us, that you lift us up from that place and you offer us a new start. We desire, Lord, that our words might speak well of the work that you're doing in our hearts and might speak well to a world that is listening. Help us, Lord, we ask in your name.